sweat your truth. When I heard the byline of the MB dance ensemble, the first thing that came to mind was uh, bodies dancing and sweating, uh, like a kind of somatic expression of passion, of catharsis, of ritual. Uh, that's my interpretation, and I'm sure that's at least in part what it means, but in, in talking to Maria Bowman, who is the director, the artistic director, the founder of MB Dance, uh, I appreciate it. We're from the same generation. I appreciated how she reminded uh, me of the way we used to speak of, of liking someone or of being after someone. You'd be, we would say, well, well, you're sweating that person. You know, if I really like somebody uh, and I was after them, uh, I'd be, you know, other people would say, oh man, he's, he's really sweating her, right? And, uh, and there was like, uh, like, uh, it could be, if it could be, it was great. And then there could be a little bit like, is that too much? You know, but it's, it's, when, when she spoke of it in that context, in the context of truth, I was deeply moved because that, that sensation of, being after truth, of of wanting truth, of looking for truth, of trying to have truth come to you and to do it all in the context of moving uh, your body in, in an artistic expression of dance, telling stories that are both linear and non-linear with the desire to center bodies that have often been excluded as not the norm uh, in the dance world. Uh, black bodies, bodies of people of color, queer bodies, to, to have that, that ritualized artistic expression as a way to, to get after what is truth while at the same time letting your body sweat it out so that it can't but be seen is something uh, uh, magical. It's something powerful. And it's something that is needed. Uh, and the interview, the guest for this this podcast episode is Maria Bauman, who is the artistic director of MB Dance. And uh, she just has this combination of... of a profound heart-centered um, spiritual practice that that can just be felt in her company, um, and something I've always noticed and and felt a kinship to. Felt something like there there is something that this person is holding that uh, that is deep and meaningful and recognizable to me, and and then she also has. A powerful analysis, right? And she's also responding to the way oppression is manifest in the world, but she's doing it in a way that is inherently beautiful. And the lines between performance and ritual and somatic catharsis are all blurred in this work. And I just think you're going to love hearing more from her, getting a little bit under uh, what it is that has moved her 
and that has gotten her to to let this creative life force move through her. One cool detail is that the the podcast episode that preceded this one, the last one I released, was with the great Jawales Zolar. And Jawal is the founder of Urban Bushwomen. And I met Maria when I was doing work, organizational development work with Urban Bushwomen. So there's this connection between between mentor and mentee. Um, there's this connection between these this two uh, black women that, that are in some ways so different from each other and in some way so connected to this particular expression. So I recommend that you, that you also go back and listen to the, to the episode with Jawale, but, but really give your ear to Maria here. Notice, uh, some of the generational shifts and tune in to what she's after. Uh, if, if you don't know uh, who I am, if you've just now, listening to my podcast for the first time. My name is Gibran, Gibran Rivera, and I am uh, a teacher. I'm a guide. Uh, I'm a facilitator and a coach. And with this podcast, my intention is to invite you into what I consider a decentralized conversation, a conversation that I'm having with some people and then that you can go and have with others uh, among humans, who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. People who are really aiming for that creative edge so that together we can meet the challenges of our time. Thank you for being a part of it and thank you for the gift of your attention. Enjoy this conversation with Maria. Maria, hola. It has been so long. I'm thrilled. To be connecting with you today. I am really, really, really happy that we are, um, I'm doing this gesture with my hands that are going in and out like a DNA helix, but it feels good to be in flow where we can come together, go apart, come together again. It's true. It's true. And so the people know we met while you were still working with Urban Bushwomen and I had the privilege of doing a strategy, a, a strategic planning uh work with you all for a number of months and we were just we just got deep in there and we did such beautiful work together and i just remember building this connection with you and i just been meaning to to have this conversation and to invite people in i um i think i mentioned to you when i reached out you are one of the reasons why one one would stay in social media, right? You meet these wonderful people along the way and, and then you at least get to see what they're up to, you know? There's, it's, it can be such a mess in there, but if you curate your Instagram well enough, <laughs> uh, you, can, you, know, you can just stay in touch with, with, with good people. And that's a great way, a great way to, to like have witnessed your work, you know? I appreciate that. I feel like we both have um, fiery hearts, like fire hearts. Yes, we do. And so I remember that even from the Urban Bush Women work also. People who are um, big heart people, like you said earlier. But I would also, I feel like we both have a fire also. With that. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you, I mean, I, you know, we do, we are doing this by video too. And I think of all the, of all the podcasts, this might be one that you might want to check out on video because Maria always, <laughs> always speaks with expression, which makes perfect, that's perfect sense, right? For, for a dancer. And, um, I want to get into all the dance stuff, but, um, I often 
like to begin with asking the person a question about a belief that they might have once held to be completely true, that they either no longer hold to be true or at least hold more lightly. And I ask that because I feel like we are all bunkering down into our ideological centers and everybody wants to be more and more certain of whatever they believe in and kind of law bombs at each other for not believing that same thing. And for me, this, 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 this evolutionary leaders is people living at the edge of consciousness and culture, people who are willing to change their mind. And I'm wondering if you have an example. I do. Um, it's a little bit of a vulnerable one, but I'm happy to share. You know, we started off this conversation talking about heart and I, in listening to some of your other podcasts, I heard this question and I just think it is such a beautiful one because it speaks to us being um, mutable and tender and not always right, quote unquote, um, and able to be affected. So I'm happy to share mine, although it, you know it's slightly embarrassing, but, but maybe I also want to rethink that. Maybe I want to rethink that. Um, but I'll say that in the in the um, question of on the question of abortion and how all of that plays out, I used to be pro-life, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, Catholic. And so as a kid in Florida, my understanding of that, question um, of who gets to decide who is grown or not, you know, what happens in, in a person's body, um, a person who has a uterus or a womb of some kind. My understanding of that question was really framed um, by Catholicism, but also a kind of real binary around um, killing murdering or not. And I, and I also was uh, against the death penalty. And in my young mind, all of that made sense. And I just kept thinking about the sacredness of human life. And it's actually quite strange because I also, it really may sound like a paradox, but in, in every other way grew up in a pretty strong feminist household. So uh, yeah. I was growing up in this very liberal way. Um, and yet there were some um, beliefs that I think from my grandparents that kind of the rest of our family adopted. And it just, it was just part of who I, who I was. And that really started to change. Not even when I moved, honestly, not even when out of, when I moved out of my childhood home, I still was quite a progressive person working on undoing racism. I mean, just doing a lot of things but always kind of thinking like, oh yeah, I'm pro-life. And then later I just started to, I think, listen. I think I started to listen to more um, podcasts, reports, conversations, and really understood the, the question not to be a matter of the sanctity, not around the sanctity of human life, but really around... Um, second-class citizens in this country 
being told and legislated what to do with our bodies all the time. So anyhow, not to get too deep into that topic, but I have to be honest, as I look back, it's, I feel, I have felt, a, um, that's not something I would share with very many people. And yet in the spirit of your question and podcast, I think it speaks to being able to change and, 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 and understand a conversation or a question in a new or different way or get more information. Um, so I am pro-choice. <laughs> okay, Ashe, thank you so much. I really get the power of what you've just done, the vulnerability implied. I, I'm so aware of, of our time. And, um, and yeah, how contested this is and how, how you just took a risk. And, and that, in my mind, it shouldn't be a risk as big as it is, but, but it is. And uh, I'm so moved and I can tell you, I, well, I can tell you that I, I do not have a uterus. I, I, I don't, I'm not a woman. Um, and in any other way, but I grew up Catholic too, very religious in fact, and very certain about, about being pro-life. Um, but also, um, uh, you to speaking to you and to my queer friends that's homophobic you know all of those things were such a part of my of my upbringing such a such a, I remember still because I graduated from high school in 93 and I we went to so to some kind of retreat um Catholic youth retreat in Ohio at the Franciscan University over there and and I did tell you this story because we were driving back and Bill Clinton's famous Peter Pan bus was going through Ohio, right? It wouldn't be through Massachusetts, it'd be through Ohio. And I remember that the irony, right, of all these kids in this other bus, actually, Catholics actually flipping off, right? Right, because the only thing that we knew was that he was pro-abortion. That's the way we would, we would think about it, right? And like, that like our, all of our politics, you know, we were like, it was kind of reduced to that. And it's, it's yeah. such a, it's so hard to go look back at that and, and, and know that some people are still in that, you know, and, but it's also good to understand it, right. To like get where they're coming from, yeah. not to justify it, but to be like, no. you're holding something. Um, and it's, it's not just because you're a bigot, you know what I mean? It's like, right. you construct a mental construct that's that that is kind of pushing you to this conclusion you know you know it reminds me i appreciate you sharing that i feel you meeting me and i really appreciate that um and it does remind me i think you're right we 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 it would be great i think if we knew about those changes more um you know, I do a lot of work with uh, the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. I, th I think you know that. But Ron Chisholm, who is uh, a co-founder of that organization and a major community organizer um, in our in our intentional work to understand and undo racism, he always says, uh, we don't throw people away. And I think about that a lot. Because I think we've been socialized to throw people away, um, at, at least in the U.S. And, and I know I have been socialized that way. So it's really countercultural. And it always helps me to remember there but for fortune go I. You know, I didn't, things that I know about myself that I'm really proud of or 
relationships I've built or campaigns that I've worked on, I wasn't born knowing how to do any of that or or even understanding that it was important only because of mentorship and people taking me under their wing. Am I able to now be so proud of some of the ways my life is in alignment? And that idea of we don't throw people away because somebody could have easily looked at me, you know, I don't know, in the movement and said, what? You know, she's life or, you know, I mean, it's, it was such an outlier, such a misalignment. But when I I think about that sometimes um, with people that I organize with, you know, when I find myself going like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that's really what you think. Then I have to go, hold up little lady. (laughs) That's right. right. Actually, we all have the potential to move and grow and, and, and also let me just keep listening. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. Allow yourself to be moved. It's not. It's a. You know, I I just I just read a. I forget who the quote was, but it was something only, only the madman is certain. You know, <laughs> like, right, like completely certain about all the. It, it's. I wanna I wanna get a little bit more into this um, mm. because it's such a central part of of the podcast. But before I go on, there's something I'm compelled to say more to the people listening, but it's. I think one of the complications with this question of abortion is that it's so politically contested that people have to say take this clear yes or no. But if you are pro-choice and then you have an abortion, it's almost like you don't really have a lot a lot of place to deal with the emotions of that a lot of the time because it's supposed to be this medical procedure, you know. And a lot of what happens in my in my healing work. Uh, it's, it's, it comes up. It just comes up as something yeah. that, that the person has to work through, you know? And, and I wanted to just add that layer of complexity to the people listening, uh, for the people listening that, that it's just because it's so contested, you can't get into that nuance. And then mm. the person at the abortion doesn't have a place to process what that experience was like for them, right? In mm. this in this context, in this cultural context, and in these times. And uh, it is often, maybe not universally, but it's often from very powerful progressive women that I've been in community with, an experience that, didn't, that needs some healing, you know, needs some, some care. And I just wanted to bring that up because my, my heart is always impacted by how the positionality and the political positionality closes the door to to that, you know? And I just wanted to, we're talking about it publicly, so I just wanted to say that aloud for people listening. Yeah, 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 yeah thank yeah. you. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about it. I definitely can't wait to get into the dancing, but you kind of sped us here. I always bring this up in the podcast, which is this, this culture that we have. And I think, I do think that there's a positive, turn lately like more and more people are saying that's not okay but what some might term cancel culture right or sometimes like um i'll call it sometimes like movement fundamentalism because i grew up in a fundamentalist religion right so i know what fundamentalism looks like right and and this holding something together to the fear of exile right as opposed to like actual structures of belonging you know you're talking about throwing people away and and so i i your convictions are so potent right the way the way you share what you are committed to your perspective on what liberation looks like 
is unshakable, right? Um, and yet you can have this open-heartedness to you. And you're talking here in this call right away about not throwing people away. And I just wonder how you contend with that tendency in the spaces that we're in, which seems to be like, don't even dare say the wrong word, right? Or or it's just it's so easy. People are so afraid, not just of, not, we tend to be more afraid of people on our side than even on the other side, right? Of getting it. And, and so I'm wondering how you contend with that in all the spaces that you're in and how, what, yeah, what are you bringing to that? I appreciate that. I mean, one, I feel like I'm bringing a lot of great information from wise folks. You know, I remember when Adrian Marie Brown published um, We Will Not Cancel Us, and I really appreciated it. Um, and these ideas also from my community organizing family. Um, I have a lot of community organizing families at this point, which I'm grateful for, but, but, but People's Institute, again, is a really big one. And part of our covenant, when we train folks in community organizing and undoing racism, we start with a covenant. Um, and part of our covenant for being together is that we will create together a liberated zone. And Maurice Lacey, yeah, one of the trainers and organizers with the People's Institute. I mean, I was just with him this weekend um, for a training with a, a group of artists that I work with. And he said, um, he and Han Wen, uh, another uh, trainer with the People's Institute, they both talked about hearing this not only these days as a, um, that we'll co-create a liberated zone, but a liberating zone. And I appreciated the active nature of that. And a liberated zone or a liberating zone for us is one in which folks don't have to front, you know, because I think the conspiracy of politeness is a real um, tool and tactic of white organizational culture, which says, don't make anyone feel uncomfortable. Don't interrupt the status quo use measured tones, you know, so anyhow, a, a liberated or a liberating zone feels the opposite, feels like you can bring your whole self, feels like you can ask questions, feels like you can say, I don't get that, or I disagree. And I feel like in the work that you and I share, you know, and so when I think about intentional dialogue, dialogic facilitation, and when I have that part of my body activated, um, there's so much there around our values of unearthing assumptions, um, not for the sake of bringing us into accord, but for the sake of deeper intimacy and understanding the whole kind of root of someone's um, thought system that might be the, the the tree on top of the soil. But what are all those experiences um, that create, you know, that are those roots? So this idea of cancel culture... I'm just not a fan, you know, as Ron, as Ron says, we don't throw people away. But what I am a fan of, again, I do think I appreciate your use of the word nuance. Yeah. I am a fan of accountability. Yeah. And I actually think that that is maybe a little harder. So I'll just share that. Um, recently, I did something that I'm not proud of. And that was a was a breach. And. 
some members of my community know about it and were able to say to me, wow, you're right. That feels out of character. Why? And I had to do a lot of delving in, you know, in my own um, therapy work. And whereas it would almost, I think, maybe I'm wrong, it would, what what was profoundly humbling to me (laughs) is that for the most part, folks did not throw me away or cancel me from that community, which I'll be honest, I think that would almost be easier for me and for them, you know, for me to think, well, I messed up, that relationship's over. Right. you know, moving right. on and for them to kind of do the same thing. It's actually been an ongoing, beautifully humbling and powerful experience to say, wow, you love me anyway. I'm supposed to love myself and figure out, well, why did I do this thing? What would drive me to that? Oh, what part of myself needs to be tended to? So I guess what I want to say is, um, I don't mean to say by I don't believe in cancel culture that everything is everything because there, are, you know, people do things that I find that we don't hold people as accountable to. I have beef with the fact that Chris Brown is still making hit records and getting lots of praise after punching Rihanna in the face. I know it was years ago, but you know that, and people often say separate the artist from the art. I don't think so. I believe in accountability, but for me, accountability is not just canceling or throwing people away. I I think actually accountability is the sturdiness of a relationship and people's investment with time and heart and also having to build our voices to look each other in the face and say, hey, I didn't like that you did that. When I've had to do that, that takes a lot more courage than it would take to just stop talking to the person, you know? Right. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say, um, just speak to the part of you that that just acknowledged having done something wrong, you know, that always feels heavy and uh, just kind of sending love and care to that part as, as you come into your own healing and come correct with yourself, whatever it might have been, you know, and that's such a part of it, you know, that is such a part of it is, uh, it's, I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really I'm really resonating with with much of what you're saying because I wouldn't be the person I am if I didn't have to be responsive to a community of people that hold a certain set of values, you know? And I've been on the other side of harm more times than I want to count, you know? And sometimes it's been like really completely fair, you know, and some of the worst moments of my life that I've needed to that have literally transformed me into the person that I am today, right? Falling on my face in the way that I have. And then other times it's been like just completely unjust and unfair, right? And it, and it's, that's the kind of the problem of our day is that any any actor can throw a bomb at you. And if you have any power or or, or personality in the world, you know, it just, it, it can, you can be tainted. But in the end, anything that makes me be a, a better person not to perform right some kind of some kind of mode but to actually become um a better man um i think i think that's that's the medicine that that we all need and uh we need some people to hold us accountable some other people to hold us with great compassion i think i'm often now the person that will 
go to the person that's caused harm and try to hold them with great compassion as I hold them accountable. But I have compassion because of my own falling, right? And so yeah. that's that's part of how it all works. Um, thank you. Thank you for going there with, with me. And I think if you're okay, I wanna I wanna pivot to, to the yeah. magic of your work. And the way I want to go into this is by asking about what I think might be the dopest, uh, I don't know if solving is the right word, uh, but sweat your truth, you know, is what we have under MBWW Dance, Dance Company. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about sweating your truth. Sure. Oh, I love that motto. Um, for folks who are listening and not watching, I just threw my hands <laughs> up in the air when Gibran said, you know, sweat your truth. Um, you know, I think of that in a couple of ways. And, and one of those ways is um, kind of listening inward and listening deeply you know, depending on our positionality. And I'll just say as a, as a black, queer, cisgender woman, um, my truth is one that um, in spaces that are either multi-gendered or multi-racial, and even when they're singularly gendered or singularly racial because of how we've been socialized, my truth, like many people's, and that often gets ignored or or denied. Um, and, and that's the case for a lot of people, you know, in ways that are different from me or, or similar to me. But I think especially for those of us who are on the bottom of any kind of power seesaw, it's it feels like a call to us to listen to our ancestors, to believe our own hearts, um, you know, that our experience and our truths are real. Sure. Yeah, right. And 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 to sweat them. Yeah. And I mean sweat in that kind of old um I'm dating myself, but I remember when I was growing up, we used to say like, oh, he's sweating her, or you know, yes. don't yes. sweat. Her, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, like, like you just love them so much. You're so up on them, you know, you 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 just sweat, you're hanging on every every word. And I feel like that, like, yeah, let's sweat ourselves. Let's sweat our own truths. Let's sweat our own experiences and know how valuable and sacred they are. Oh, my God. Um, and then there's the sweating also that I love, which is about physical rigor, which is yeah. about dance into it. Put your physicality in the mix. Um, so for me, sweat your truth is both literal and figurative. But thinking about literally as a, as a dance company, sweat it. You know, yes. may yes. we like continue to etch further and further deeper into our own bodies and into our communities with some with some embodiment, like not always talking, but actually what are we doing? Um, let's put some sweat behind it. Amen. Amen. This is it. I mean, let's that, let's stay here because it's already like resonating so deeply. So, so Tom, tell us about the dance company and tell us about what you're trying to do. and. It, it's just so, so special, you know, and it just captures the essence of these words. You know, you're actually doing it. Um, tell us about why, you know, and what's happening. Hey. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. I started MB Dance in 2009. So it's been a, it's been a little while now. And um, I feel so grateful to be 
centering um, Black queer folks and other queer folks of color um, through MB Dance, you know. Everybody is invited and I think can find a way in. And we are at the center. And that feels like good uh, balancing and medicine in the world, like necessary, um, a necessary interjection. Um, and we dance, you know, I, I choreograph based on um, our imaginations and our desires and our stories. Um, for instance, I made a piece uh our most recent work, Desire, a Sankofa Dream. And I had this imagination. Um, I I just imagined what if if there were um, some mentor helpers that came to help us humans out? I think I was really contending with the messiness of time and being socialized to have everything on a schedule and um, get married by this time and age and have a child and do this with your career and et cetera. And I was just thinking a lot about the interminglings and not only thinking, but feeling between time and desires. Like, well, what do I want to do? And is that on the same schedule? And can I even hear my own wants, but for the cacophony of what the world says that I and we should want. And anyhow, I ended up imagining that, um, <laughs> I ended up imagining that, Black queer folks' ancestors are actually shape-shifting unicorns. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, and that these unicorns would literally lap up and eat the color red, various shades of the color red. And I mean, in the piece, we talk about um, brick red and mauve and fire engine red and cranberry, um, fuchsia, but that these unicorns would eat various colors of red and that that would feed their literal creativity and that they could just become whatever they wanted and that we humans have kind of forgotten Yeah, and they're here to help remind us. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Thank you. I I appreciate that you love it because this is the kind of work that we're doing, which is on one hand, I mean, I hope it's working. My, my hope is that it's a, not even a medicine, but like a good nutritious food, you know, that's appealing on multiple levels. Hopefully that it's yummy and and whimsical and fun because we deserve that in our art and beautiful, you know, to see people dancing um, beautifully with beautiful, gorgeous, colorful costumes on. So I, I hope it appeals in that way. And I, and I also hope that it's working on our imaginations because part of the piece is actually, it's a, it's a non-proscenium work, meaning that it doesn't happen on a stage okay. where the audience has, we, we call it a proscenium arch, that kind of um, rectangle or box yeah. that the stage makes when you look at it. Yeah. And this isn't that. This actually happens um, either online where witness participants made a whole bunch of choices there or before and after online, actually, in person where witness participants literally travel, you know, in their wheelchairs or on their feet or however they want to travel from place to place within our creation based on prompts and their own desires and whims. So I, one of my hopes with that piece is that it's working on our ability to imagine, to hear our own desires and to enact some choice-making, you know, to sweat our truths again. 
Yes, yes, yes. It's just um, it's this combination, and I want to talk both about about the somatic aspect and about the the desire part, um, because there is a a profound way of knowing, right? That is first embodied, right? That uh, it's like your body, your body knows first, you know, it's like, uh, and it's a better place for making sense of. So even for example, something much, just just so people don't get intimidated, they're gonna be this spectacular dancers, but it's like, I, I was in this, this sequence of like ceremony, then a therapy session, then a session with my medicine guide. And it just happened to all coincide with my getting back to the mat, you know, in terms of doing some yoga after way too long without doing it. And some intuition or, or even something called me to be working on, on balance, a balance sequence, right? And uh, it was just when I then was with the therapist and then when I went with the medicine guide, it's like, yeah, there's this balance that you have that 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 you that you're being called into so that you're seeking more wholeness than perfection, right? So that there's more inclusion of all of the parts, right? Not just the shiny parts, right? And yes. so, but I'm understanding this differently just because of what I did that morning. Right? Wow. Because just that morning I was trying to balance on my foot. And so so my capacity to integrate, right? the dialogical, right, and the, the help, right, from the people that, that in this case are helping me um, was potentiated, right, by by that body movement. And I think I think there's something there that, that, that you know to be inherently true and you offer to people, right, as you bring them in. I love and appreciate that example because I do. My spiritual belief is that we exist whether we have these or are in these bodies or not. Um, so for instance, my father, George Hill Jr., has passed away. He's transitioned from his body. And yet he to me in dreams. He's very present in my artwork. You know, so so just that example of that's just my spiritual belief that we don't need to have a body to 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 exist in soul. So because of that, I just have a hunch that it's very special that we're on this earth now with these bodies. Do you know? I, I often think about like, I could not. And I'm sure there have been times when I have not had a body and there will be times again where I'm not in a body. So man, let me make the most of being here in this body. What does it mean? And I think you're right. There's so much potential for experiencing and understanding and intuiting various sensations and emotions through our bodies that tell us something about relationship, being with each other. I, I think of that as a big part of MB Dance is we're practicing to be together better. Amen. <laughs> How do we be together better? Yes, 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 yes. You've brought up ancestors you brought up, we're talking about the body, we're talking about being together better. And there's this framework that I have been kind of recently introduced to, and I, it just, uh, 
I was kind of talking it over with with Tuesday, who's my beloved, over over the weekend, just because it seems to hold this fundamental truth, and I want to share it with you because I think because part of what you're doing is ritual, right? And so part of what what the thinker is proposing, and I'm not going to use all his fancy words, but his name is John Verveke, and he works a lot on, on meaning, right, and the meaning crisis, and and he's talking about about a kind of knowing that it's like. The knowing from the mind, right? He calls it propositional, right? Like you, you understand the concept, right? And so we are in a culture that's very high on that kind of knowing, right? I believe this and you believe that. And then there's the knowing from like the doing, the skill of something. Like you, you know how to dance. You're a skilled dancer, right? Like there's a set of skills, right? Uh, and then there's a knowing that is like, the ability to take your perspective and to know that it's different from others. And maybe we did a little bit of that earlier with the abortion conversation, right? And we are able to take more than one perspective because we've held more than one. And, and you know what yours is, and you were also talking about your positionality and how that is right. So there's a lot of perspective in that. But then there is a this kind of thing at the base of it all, which is a participatory knowing. And in this knowing, it's like, is, is between the agent, you, and the arena, the context in which you are, right? And you influence it, and it influences you, and it's relational, as you have just spoken about the intention of your work, right? And, and what he's saying is that he's connecting that to ritual, right? That we, we enact, where we embody this, these aspirations, you know? Or, or, or these memories, if we're remembering the unicorns, right? And so we, what is it that the ancestors want us to remember, right? What is it that, where is it that, how, what is it that we want to be and feel like in the future? What is the, the kind of archetypal virtue that we want to bring into our bodies, right? Mm. And so you can be conceptual about it, right? Or, and that will help some, right? But if you have a ritual about it, right? If you, if you have, the song, the dance, the fire, and your body is moving through space as you are moving towards this archetype or remembering this other truth. Yeah. Like, it's a very different way of knowing, a much, much more primal one, right? Way before books, much more much more part of who we are over the millennia than, than what we've become over just a couple thousand years, you know? Yeah. I, I think I appreciate you naming that my work is ritual because it is. And that's something that I've gotten more and more clear about and comfortable with over the years. There are a few things, we'll see where the conversation goes, but a few things come to me about ritual. Um, one is that ritual to me has to do with repetition and practice mm -hmm. and sensation. That ritual is, is literally sensational, you know, whether it's about smelling the incense or whether it's about seeing these pictures of the ancestors on the altar or whether it's about I an incantation I say this thing or I go to this plate you know I kneel at this time whatever it is I think that ritual involves our bodies you know it is is literally um a multivalent uh experience a sensational and so just as you're saying, nothing wrong with concepts. My gosh, our minds are, are made for them. And I think ritual offers our senses to, to etch whatever it is we're trying to practice or remember or find out 
we etch it deeper. Um, there's a wonderful uh, essay called The Inscription of Gesture by Sally Ann Ness. It's a kind of dance studies. It's one of these nerdy dancey, you know, but I love it because she talks about, so, so often people talk about dance as ephemeral, you know, that it lives nowhere. It's this fleeting um, action, but, but without a material tangibility. And Sally Ann Ness actually writes that, um, no, it is not. It is actually etched. And it is etched literally into our bodies and it is etched into the places where we dance. So for instance, if somebody's doing a crip walk, um, they're they're literally spelling out the name of a fallen brother, you know, another we might say a, a, another quote unquote gang member, but a, a family member, a brother, because they're literally etching that into the space with their feet. Or I'm literally, my body looks different at 42, dancing the kind of dancing that I've been doing for so long and playing capoeira, you know, like I have broad shoulders because I take a lot of weight onto my hands. You know, it looks different from people who do other things so that so that I really am citing her work because I really appreciate that actually the, the, the actions are written on us and in us, literally and figuratively. And I think I think, and I feel that's what ritual does. It etches our experiences or our queries or our practices into ourselves through the through the senses. And I used to worry. I thought, well, that's weird that I'm making rituals, but they're also performances, you know, because I think we're socialized to think of those as different. And I thought, man, I don't, it just happened this way. Like that's what I'm making, but, but should I interrogate that? Is that exploitative, you know, ritual? And then I've come to understand in the doing that I think there's space for solo rituals, community rituals, rituals that you participate in rituals that you witness. And I do think there's a power to witnessing a ritual and or peripherally engaging. When I think about the Black church, to witness is a powerful place to be. Or even if I think about friendship, you know, the the, the act of being a friend, there's something about mirror neurons. But what I can speak to with more clarity is that I think to witness builds safety for the person doing the acting or the practicing or the sharing. And I think it also builds... uh, compassion and tethering for the person doing the witnessing. So I feel better now about making performances or rituals that are performative in nature, understanding that they're working on multiple levels. Do you know? Because I used to feel like, oh, they should be two different things. Why am I making things that are both, you know? Yeah, I understand. I, I understand. I value. I really honor that you would inquire into it, you know? But like here on the other side of it, I. I can only see that the the best, you know, like it's actually how we gathered. It's where performance comes from, right? We first had ritual, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the performance was like it was like taken out, right? Or or and you were like integrating it back in, you know. And if what becomes possible, you know, I I facilitate and every once in a while, but I have these two immediate examples that come to mind because there's this workshop I do called the Evolutionary Leadership Workshop and it's the only one, the only thing that is 
historically has been the only thing that's invitational that I do because otherwise there's somebody else bringing me in to facilitate. Yeah. That's when I get to design. And remember, the ver from, the, from the very first one, there's always this moment when the space is a week, right? And like the space kind of cracks and, and it, some, there's a ritual that enters, right? That, that we all enter because the intention that we're holding is to literally align ourselves, right, with the creative life force of the universe, right? Which, right, and, and so, and so, there we, and so then it shows up, right? Then it shows up, which brings me to um, uh, desire, right? Uh, and and I appreciate desire. I appreciate the sensual, because for uh, me, you know, I, I work with this evolutionary framework. Um, and at the heart of this, of it is, is eros, right? Like if you think about like the single cell organism splits into two and then like recombines, right? And, and we become ever more complex organisms through that separation that then, that, and then that difference, right? They become something different. And then there's like a tension in that difference, right? And in that there's a Eros, right? And the kind of the creative life force moves through that, right? And so you're so you like literally have committed your life, right, to to that, to that, to that deity, you know? And uh I'm just wondering what else you can share from 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 your like embodied experience of serving that force. Yes. I love that you just kind of pulled your fists apart in that um Force, it's, it's like a magnet, right? There's that polarity, um, but then there's the desire, the, the sucking together that goes, ah, we actually want to be together. But if we go another way, we're almost repelled, but, but, but held in a field, you know, like yeah. two magnets, not repelled to just, there's no, nothing between us, held by this tension that keeps us in this relationship with each other. I appreciate that. I'll say, I mean, yeah, similarity and difference from one another. So MB Dance this summer, we had um, kind of based on that art piece that I just told you about, we held a, a, a weekend long festival that we want to do again. It was our first one um, called Cutie Pox Sankofa Dreaming. So queer, trans, people of color, Sankofa Dreaming. Um, Sankofa being that uh, that idea of return the African um idea of of go back and get it or 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 looking backwards as we fly forward but speaking to that um cyclical nature that is organic rather than a uh maybe a linear completely linear idea and uh because the artwork was called desire a sankofa dream and so in this um weekend we it was an open you know call are you an artist who you know uh queer and trans people of color first in you know prioritized but anybody else invited um to learn more about lineages practices of other queer and trans artists of color because it felt like um we're too cut off from each other. You know, our, our, our work has so often been invisibilized that unless we collectivize and kind of regather it, it almost feels like you're just this artist reinventing the wheel, hanging out there. 
And I so love that this weekend ended up being, you know, it included performance by MB Dance and included lots of workshops from, from different folks and, and um, learning about other artists who have come before us and also who are our contemporaries. And I was amazed. One, we were very different. I mean, even all of us were queer and or transgender people of color. And within that, we were so different. You know, we had folks who are just out of their teens to folks who are uh, well beyond my 42 years. We had folks who are super mobile in their physical bodies and folks who um, use a cane and are not um, different races, you know. And there was something about that magnet. And I think that arrows that you're talking about that feels really good to kind of rub up against each other and say, oh yeah, we're different in this way. What do I have to learn from understanding something about your perspective or your experience or like, man, I didn't even know that queer artist that you're talking about because you're in a whole different part of this earth than I am. Or, wow, we're really the same here. And what we were able to create together I'm kind of still on a high from it, you know, and sometimes we'll text each other or on Instagram, like you're saying, we'll kind of have a little love fest because it was such a sweet weekend of feeling, I think, um, yeah, what you're talking about, that tension of ways that we're not all the same and also the profound comfort of feeling the tension and loving each other, not not anyway, but but really because of it, because of right. all of our particularities, right. um, especially as people who often don't get that. Um, so yeah, that's I'll, I'll just say, I guess a shorter answer could be it's it's for me it's in the performative work, but it's also in the community engagement work, which I would consider Cutie Pucks and Kofa Dreaming to be a weekend festival of community engagement, you know, where it's, um, we made a lot of art, but not necessarily for the sake of sharing it publicly, but for the sake of co-creating, you know, for doing that sacred thing that is making together. Yes, Ashe, Ashe, so, it's so beautiful. Um, thank you. Thank you, because when you speak, you can, you can speak from, it's clear that you're speaking from the experience of it, right? Not just from the mm-hmm. idea of it and that that has a much more potent transmission. You know, the people uh, listening, they, if their words could be the same, right? But when you speak from the, from the actual experience, from the embodiment of it, it, it can touch us and, get, and move us farther. And I think that's, that's why hopefully we spend any time listening to a podcast to, to, to be moved and, and to grow. Thank you for the gift of your attention. If there's something here that resonates for you, something that feels true and good, think about a friend that you could share it with. We curate for each other. And that's the only way the good stuff spreads. I want to ask you about, because you brought it up, you brought it up so much as part of your work, and I want to ask you more directly, how about the community engagement part of your work? Because that's a central commitment, right? Uh, and you've had this great partnership with the People's Institute, and I know that you you work with Urban Bush Women, and I, there's just all of this community work that you committed to it. Right? Even when you have these performances, it seems like 
they seem to be community engagements a lot of the time. So tell me more about that, the the essence of that, the spirit behind it, and when what makes it what it is. Yeah, I think, um, well, I've come to realize I'm a community organizer. Um, yeah, thank you for adding energy to that. I, I think as artists, because because being an artist is hard in some ways, you know, especially in the ways that art can be professionalized here in the U.S., you know, that's a tough road. I mean, financially, politically, lots of things. And I have a feeling it's because of that that we're really encouraged to wear that badge of artist. You know, we kind of wear it with pride. It's like, who am I? I'm an artist. And I am an artist. But I've started to realize that I'm really a community organizer, a a lover of people. And that shows up in my art making. It shows up in my family life. Um, It shows up in my... Undoing racism work with with Acre artists co-creating real equity. Um, yeah, I love people, and I really am. It just I think we all have a divine fundamental question or reason why we're in a body, and I really respect other people's questions. And I'm glad we have different ones. You know, most of us and and different paths, different blueprints. But mine seems to be about how to be with people better, you know, how do we share this piece better? And so it just, I'll say central to that for me is my practice of understanding and undoing racism. And I really do shout out both Urban Bush Women and the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond for helping me on that path, as well as Dr. William R. Jones, who's an ancestor. I I took his theories and dynamics of race and oppression um, when I was 19. So each of those three that I just named um, have a big part to do from a young age. I am I, lucky to say I interacted with Urban Bush Women and the People's Institute and Dr. Jones all in my late teens, you know, and that's a pretty formative time. And so I think I already had the stuff of um, being preoccupied with intimacy and people and relationship And justice. I mean, I definitely grew up in a household concerned with and dedicated to various kinds of justices, particularly um, the eradication of homophobia and the disparate um, civil rights that people get in this country based on sexuality. That was big in my house growing up. And I think when I started being, I mean, I danced from an early age. You know, we do. We dance. I danced on top of my mom's feet. I danced. I put on talent presentations for my family as a kid. I was like, you're invited to my room at 7 p.m., you know, to come see me sing and dance. Um, But I think once I started concert dance training, it, it just became an extension. It's like, oh, great. Here's another way I enact my values. And enact, and actually, I feel like it's the home way now that I enact my values. But my values really are, really are the principles from the People's Institute, you know, the, the principles of anti-racist community organizing, such as learning from history. You know, I think about my ancestor work with MB Dance and the fact that I think of us as archives. That's really the principle of learning from history. Um, building a net that works, 
that's another People's Institute community organizing principle that I that I hope to and that and that I endeavor to bring to my own work, which I think we might call community engagement. But what's a what's a system where folks don't fall out? And you try and then you go, oh, those folks fell out of that container that I created. Huh. Okay. So next time, what's a better, like, where do we, how do I stop that gap? Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, oh, I, I co-create now. Oh, okay. How about I don't create the container all by myself? How about I invite other people in? Oh, fewer people are falling, you know. Um, another example, just to, just to give one is developing leadership. You know, that's a, that's an anti-racist organizing principle from the People's Institute. And it's very alive, I think, in my own artwork. And this might be a strange way to answer your question, but that's how I think of community engagement. It's like, yeah, that there's this idea that a movement is not single vision, you know, or is not about ego, but it is about every person's potentiality. And how is this process helping anybody get a better sense of their own power? You know, so when we do community engagement work, the idea is, What's the exchange here? What's the artwork maybe that you're adding to? Or what are the ways that you're helping us look at this artwork we have that we didn't know how to look at? Um, and what are we offering you as whether it be an experience of heightened embodiment more than you're used to, or a dialogue into, you know, women and gender studies that you, you know what I mean? Like we've got some things that we can offer. What's the exchange I think really is always the question. That's awesome. That's so great. Thank you for that commitment. And uh, it just, you just resonated so deeply and just, just kind of dropping knowledge and principles as you're explaining it, you know, um, just really appreciate that the co-creation of space, the development of leadership, right? Like the, how we actually got to try things to learn. Right. And, and the, it doesn't have to be perfect in the beginning, right? You know, you, you bring great care and intention and, and then you keep learning. You know, I, I want to mention two things. One is I have to shout out my my little sister, Janina Rivera. She participated in one of your workshops and, uh, you know, she's gone on to become, uh, she's gone on to become a very skilled social worker, a mother, and she was a dancer. She, she's still a dancer, but like she That's was... Right. They trained as a dancer, you know, and and it's but it was so formative and important to her, and I just wanted to shout her out here. Uh, yes, Janina, yeah, that is amazing. Right, it's family, right, and like that we're all interwoven here. And and what yeah. I want to share is, um, I'm I'm I've been long 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 off Twitter, you know, but yeah. I was early to Twitter, you know, and and so it's potential for like gathering collective intelligence and ran some really cool experiments with design teams, you know, for like, who didn't even know what Twitter was. And I was like, well, you know, this is going to kind of get us in sync. And when we come together, we're going to be able to design differently. And But I only bring Twitter up to say, you know, you have to have a very short bio. And my bio on Twitter, um, probably still is because your name is still out there, is interested in new ways of being dash with interested in new ways of being with right which i think is why we just always had this thing of this connection because it's like it's the same question right that is orienting us and um yeah it just it it it, it has a level a layer of 
resonance and even acceleration to be to be in communion here and, and be in conversation. I'm so grateful. It's really grateful. I appreciate um, that. Communion is it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have like a, a couple of other questions. This one just keeps coming up and I'm just gonna listen to myself with it. It's it's an unusual question for me, but but I guess I'm thinking about the solstice and which, you know, people will this will be after it will have long passed when the recording comes out, but it's this time I've called people together to gather around the solstice, you know, because we've always done it. Like it's literally one of these practices that all of humanity's ancestors shared. And, and we're, we are observing, right, this, this dance between the earth and, and its star, you know, and, and this taking stock and, and just being with that. And we talked about ritual already, but you mentioned the South a number of times in your bio, you know, and I know, I think you're in, you're in the Northeast right now, you're in New York, am I, am I right? Yeah. yeah. But, but that's such a part of your, of who, of your formation. And I'm just wondering um, if you have anything to share about that, about being a Black woman, Black queer woman from the South, you know, and how that informs who you are, because I think that's, that's something important in the American consciousness. Yeah. You know, it feels important for me to name that I'm from the U.S. South because I don't think people can hear that. And so there's been a severing um, through kind of mimicking and assimilationist tactics for the sake of survival. I want to say with great respect that when I was younger, my mother really did not want me to have a Southern accent um, because she had some really horrible experiences. You know, she, because her, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers, her, um, one of her fathers, you know how the marriages and families happen, but anyhow, was in the Navy. And so they moved around a lot, she and her sisters. And I remember her name telling me this story more than one time of moving up north and then getting chased home from school and kids calling her hillbilly and 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 chasing her um because of her accent and i and she did not want me to have that kind of experience and so while i'm very much from the us south i don't sound like most of the people in my family and i really honor my mother's protective spirit you know, as to why she would, I mean, sometimes when I would say certain words, she would have me say it again, like, oh, don't have that Jacksonville O sound. Wow. Yeah, but there, but I, at this point, recognize both yeah. her care in that, but also my grieving yeah. Yeah. of the sever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. I, I, I mention it a lot, I think, because it feels important to me when we talk about being with people. There are so many regional ways of being with, and I've learned the ways of New York and the Northern United States, but the ways that I feel really at home with are saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, and no, sir. That's something I had to really fight against when I came to New York. But when I uh, go to visit some family for Christmas, the children will say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to me. And for us, it's not severe or strange. It's just a way that you recognize 
elderhood and kind of your place in the ecosystem. Um, The ways that we are not worried about speaking fast all the time. And, And there's a kind of unraveling that happens because I have gotten pretty fluid in New York and, and, you know, the Northeastern culture of the U S but there's something that feels really sweet to me about going back to my Southern culture fraught as it is, you know, in many ways, but, but the interrelationships part um, feels very much a part of me that you wouldn't, that, that, that I don't think there are any markings of. And so it feels important for me to name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for answering and thank you for, for naming it. Cause it's, it is, I was just in, uh, Tuesday and I were just in the Virgin Islands and you know, she had, she had a client there and I'm from the Caribbean, I'm from Puerto Rico, you know, and the Virgin Islands are like St. Thomas is the closest other island to Puerto Rico. And, it's also a colony just like Puerto Rico. And, and it has, you know, a very different culture than Puerto Rico's, but there's something to, to returning to these lands where our bodies have been shaped, you know? Uh, there's this kind of response that the body has to where, and it, I don't know how universal this is, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe like if you come from a long lineage of Northern people, right? Then maybe like, it won't be the same to be in that heat, even if you grew up in it. But for me, it's just like there's something about that that humidity that actually my body says yes to. It opens before, yeah. right? and and there's something to that slowdown. That you're right. It takes me a minute. It takes me a little too long actually to to slow it down. But once you do, you're like, they have something right, you know. <laughs> they have something right about about being alive, you know. And and we have something right about being alive, you know. Yeah, interesting thing. It's a it's an interesting when I think about some of the elements of dance. Um, we often talk about them as space, time, and energy, and some people would also add body body parts, space, time, energy, and body. But uh, as far as time, tempo, there's a lot to do with tempo. Um, in that, in that factor of dance. And I see evidence of various temples all around. Mm-hmm. In fact, in that artwork I was telling you about, Desire, a Sankofa Dream, uh, one of the characters uh, is called Tempo. Her, her, she's the mistress of ritual, and she does. She keeps the pace. She sets the pace. But I think about the different temples that are, that are in different parts of the world, you know, and certainly where I'm from, and and I and I think where you're from, but I'll just say where I'm from. The tempo is slower, yeah, um, than than where I live here in New York, and uh, and yeah, there is a kind of code switching or multilingualness or assimilation, you know. I all at play, maybe I'll say and with all of those. Um, so yeah, the this the tempo switch takes time, but I think. I just listened to Trisha Hersey's um, Rest is Resistance book. I, I listened to it as an audio book. You know, she has the Nat Ministry on Instagram. I just think so highly of her. Yeah. And she just keeps talking about slowing down and all of the historical and political and spiritual reasons for that. And uh, I don't know what you're saying reminds me of that, that there, yeah. when you say there's something right, 
you know, I don't want to get into like binaries, but but certainly a fast tempo is not always what's needed. I mean, just like in a good artwork, you want juxtaposition, you want contrast. Um, and I think I, I'm starting to become suspicious of myself <laughs> in this apartment. You know, I keep a pretty... I, I'm just noticing how that tempo, it's like you start to make your... It, it started as an external rhythm and then you internalize it. I've internalized it. So it's like, I live here alone and the tempo is pretty fast. And it's like, whoa, how did that happen? What's the tempo of where I'm from? So it's nice to visit, as you're saying, um, the actual place, the people, and to, and to like recalibrate. <laughs> right, right. No, it's, it's so true. We, I think we could, we could keep digging here for sure because there's, you know, part of what's, and I, we we won't we gotta start to move towards the close. But part of what comes up for me is, you know, the mammals in the savannah, are, or you know, it's like they can be fast. They can be really, really, really fast, you know, and they'll be fast when that's needed, you know. But other other than that, they're like conserving their energy and kind of being with right the land yes. and and in in that heightened awareness, you know. But but it's. And then when it's time to be fast, they'll, they'll be fast, you know. And it's it's just being able to keep the the full palette, right, of possibility before us. And and I do think there's something about the system that we're under that 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 it can it can trick us. And one of the ways it tricks us is by mm. taking over time, you know. I think that's definitely definitely true. Um, I have a couple of questions that I like to ask at the end of the podcast and also just create space for anything that has gone on set that you want to share. And one of them starts with an invitation, uh, an invitation that you can consent into if you choose. And it's an invitation to consider taking a leap forward, you know, to 20 years into your own life and coming into contact with an older version of yourself. Yeah somebody that has achieved certain things and not others, that has uh, made some spiritual attainments, right? Because I know you have a, a clear path and just have gained some wisdom, recovered from some hurts. And uh, if you can see her, what I'm interested in is what she would come back and say to you and to us now. You know, what is the wisdom that that you might earn in 20 years that you could put to use today and that we could put use to, to use today? Thanks for that. You know, as I picture her, um, myself at, that would be 62, I can see, I have my eyes closed, but in my mind's eye or in my spirit eye, I can see that she has my same big brown eyes, but with lots of wrinkles around them. Um, that I think she's laughed a lot and cried a lot and, and used her face. And that feels important to name. Yes. We talk about tempo, right? Yeah. In a culture that, um, that loves factory and staying the same, you know, capitalism. I, I just want to name that I see my face will be different. It'll be different. Um, and what a blessing. 
Because mm-hmm. I think about, you know, my dad is an ancestor and I'm older than he was. Oh, wow. You know? So yeah. it's like, wow, what an honor to mm. get those wrinkles and gray hairs that I'm getting now and that I'll continue to get. Mm. And when I think about that 62 year old Maria, I just imagine her hugging me. <laughs> hugging us I I don't even know if words are coming but I think that what I feel is a tenderness and a love like yeah you're doing a good job and also a vitality you know I'm noticing that it's that there's such a tenderness from her from that future self that I hope I can um integrate such a tenderness, but also a vivacity, vivaciousness, like a, like she's still fiery. I hope. Yes. Um, Right. Yeah. So I, I think, and I think she's curious. So I don't know that I have too many words from her. What I see is the image of her and her actions, but the feeling is of, curiosity and kindness, lots of empathy and, and fire, like that creative fire. So I think from that, I'm affirming those in myself and all of us. Amen. Thank you so much. That is so powerful. It's so good. You know, I, I actually printed out a picture using one of those apps of, of my old self and I have it. I actually have it on my desk. Uh, you what know, a great idea. Uh, just call in that wisdom. It's just, um, but I, I just look, but I, I bring that in just because of what you said, but also how much you focus on her face, right? And, and the wrinkles, right? And yeah, you know, there's, and, 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 you know, I wasn't meaning to, this wasn't the next question I was going to ask you, but I'd be remiss if I don't. I know that you have a spiritual practice and a spiritual cultivation and that there's this, this heart that you have, this capacity for love, this 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 way in which you speak um, that reveals um, a cultivation, and I'm just wondering what, if anything, you can share about that for for our listeners. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks for noticing and and asking. Um, and I and I want to thank you for that question too about the future self because. That gives me courage, you know, like going into that, um, I don't know, Akashic Records, I guess, or like timeline jumping um, helps me. Now I will have that image and I can try to live into because, of course, I'm a product of capitalism and vanity and all kinds of things. But but you inviting me into that space, then I hear my own soul speaking, you know. So thank you for that. And and going like, wait, you wanna have nice, you wanna have nice spread out crow's feet, you know, you 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 wanna have lived. And I appreciate um the chance to kind of etch that into myself and hear it out. <sighs> oh, spiritual practice, yes, right? Yes, cultivation, yes. So yeah, I um so it's funny. <laughs> I should have mentioned that I talked about abortion. The biggest change for me has been spiritual. <laughs> I grew up Catholic, as I as I mentioned, 
And that didn't feel very resonant, honestly. It was just more, it was like, that was our identity. It's things we did. And then it was pretty embattled anyway, because of, um, like I told you, the, the politics of sexual identity and, and, and romantic identity and gender identity in my house were like really at odds with the Catholic church. So eventually we, my mom and I became less and less attached to that church and she really went on a quest. So I was lucky as a teen, I got to go to Unitarian Universalist services. Um, she researched Judaism a lot. I mean, she really went on a quest and I got to be kind of a witness participant, you know, to her quest. And and we went to uh, metropolitan community churches, which are, you know, um, Christian churches for queer and trans people, or we would have said at the time, gay people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was some of the most spirit filled church that I've ever been to, I have Beautiful. to say. But I think as I got older, um, I became atheist, which is hilarious to me now. Absolutely hilarious. But again, it's because my worldview of church was kind of Catholicism and this thing where I didn't feel that I didn't feel much spirit. Honestly, I, I felt a bunch of actions. Um, and rituals that for me weren't really etching inward were only kind of etching outward. Like, yeah, we kneel, we do this thing. But I know some people were really etching inward as they did it. And it was very sacred and they knew why they were doing it. But that wasn't my experience. Um, and so I just, you know, with my analytical mind and socialized to be very rational, I just thought, you know, there's no other area in my life where I would have quote unquote faith, where I would believe in a thing that I don't see or, you know which is truly hilarious to me, but I really was for, for years, I thought of myself as atheist. And I just thought, oh, that doesn't mean, you know, I want to be a nice person. It doesn't mean I don't have a moral compass, but I just, I don't see this idea of like a God or a spirit bigger than us. And while it's hilarious to me, I'm actually grateful that I'm so earnest in everything that I do that I would go to such an extreme. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because what that actually did now, I realize in hindsight, was gave me space to really feel and and experience the divine, which is what happened. I was like this for years. And then I just started to feel like the way that I first felt it is I felt like, oh, I have a light coming out of my chest. Yeah. I just felt that. I was like, oh, I feel like I have a light coming out of my chest, almost like a flashlight. And I feel from people, other people have it too. I had no, I just literally was feeling this. I just intuited, it just how I felt. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I, I want to connect my flashlight with other people's flashlight. <laughs> and then I started making up prayers. Hmm. And it would basically be an affirmation of what I felt and also like a desire, a calling in for more. So it started with, I'll just share the beginning. It, it says, um, I am generous and light filled. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of honestly making up my own spiritual practices based on just what I felt. And then I thought, well, maybe that is God. Maybe that's weird. We're all connected by this, at least how I feel at this light. Huh. Or, or maybe maybe we're divine. Maybe that's some kind of God stuff inside of us. And then a good friend of mine um, introduced me to science of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's part part of a, I guess some people call it new thought or, you know, it's non-denominational. But I think at the crux of it is this idea that 
we are co-creating our experiences all the time and that we are absolutely divine, that we're literally generative. And I was like, whoa, that's what I've just been thinking, yes. you know, or getting this inkling of. And so for a long time, science of mind, now for, gosh, at least a decade, I guess, um, science of mind has been really feeding me. But I also, and I will say that I um, I still keep this curiosity because science of mind, it really is kind of a collection of ideas, yeah. guy, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not a religion. Um, and I'm looking out beyond my computer. I've got my altar there, my my altar um, for my ancestors. I, I listen to them a lot. Mm-hmm. I try to. In fact, I'm very excited, actually. my I've been doing a lot of work today, and my activity after this podcast is I'm going to – I think I'm going to make some space, like take a walk or do whatever. But if I can feel into it, what I'd like to do actually is clean and, and reorganize my altar. Yeah, and that's a spiritual practice for me. So I think between listening to my ancestors, meditating and trying to be still with myself in the mornings, reading a bit of Science of Mind, I try to read it every morning, um, Science of Mind magazine. But honestly, I make up prayers. I mean, I... That's wonderful. um, but yeah, so that for the journey from atheism to one of the most God-believing and spiritual, I mean, everything I do is about my divinity and our divinity. So it cracks me up. But I mean, it was very real for me I, when I felt like I was atheist. That's amazing. That's just the thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, it's just remarkable because whatever the pathway is, we get to the same place, which is this understanding that, yeah, that 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 we are all connected to this inner divinity, you know, and that it is, this is what it is, this is, this is what, what is manifesting and what is alive and where love emerges from, you know, and the creative life force moves from. And it's beautiful to be connected there. And I really, I really, really do promise to let you go in just a minute. Um, I, I, I have, a, a, and again, if there's anything that you want to say after we, after this question, which um, uh, we welcome that and then we'll call it a close, but, um, I do have a commitment to ask, you know, when I'm before a powerful woman, you know, from the perspective of of men, um, particularly cis men, right? Um, um, where so much of what patriarchy is has been exposed more, you know, in the last number of years and obviously experience for millennia, don't get me wrong, but like just kind of come for the foreground of the culture. And yeah, I just do this work with men. And when I'm before a powerful woman, I, I'm always committed to to ask, you know, from your perspective, you know, what do you think, what do you think men should do to be better, you know, to show up better, mm-hmm. to walk better up on this earth? Well, thank you for the question. And I think, I have to kind of, with some humility, at least just share what I'm doing. And no, I'm not a man. Um, But I think that we've all internalized the patriarchy because how could we not? And I've been really present lately to how deeply ingrained that is in me. Hmm. And so I'll just share some of what I'm up to is um, literally slowing down and resting more. I really believe it when Trisha Hersey 
says um, in her book, Rest is Resistance, she says um, that part of rest is, is grief, that it puts us in touch with what we have to grieve. And that feels true for me, right? It feels like staying busy has a lot of functions in our culture, but one of them is to numb us, you know, is to literally disconnect us from our own sensations in our bodies. And then by extension to disconnect us from the possible sensations in other people's bodies, which would be empathy, you know, um, to be able to imagine what might be going on in somebody else's energetic field. So I, I, I will say I'm really trying. I mean, it's not easy. This is from a recovering workaholic. So I am no guru, but I, but I'm grateful to Trisha Hersey and others. Amara Tabor Smith is another person who really has been on this undoing patriarchy work for a long time. But I'm finding that the more I rest, you know, Trisha Hersey says you're, she consistently says it in the book. Your body has information for you. Your body has information. And I'm like, but it's incredible. The more we literally lay down, close our eyes for five minutes, don't lay down, but take a deep breath and look out the window. Like it, it just feels like it, um, Again, all of this capacity for sensation comes back, which does feel anti-patriarchal because I know that the patriarchy wants to divorce us of our bodies and have us only be our minds, only that which is quantifiable, you know. I think another thing is listening more. I know I've been socialized to output, output, output. And sometimes I think of the very phallic nature of that, that I'm very good at, <laughs> you know, like yeah, produce, yeah. talk. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Yes, yes, yes. And just, yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with it. The only thing wrong with it. I mean, it, it's blessed. It's sacred. We need it. The only problem is when it's so out of balance and it's so overvalued. And so I'm trying, I mean, <laughs> this is not easy. I'm a person who loves to lift weight. Like I want to do the thing, push. But it, it, I, I can feel in my body how right it is as I'm listening more and as I'm receiving in whatever way that means. Taking a pedicure, saying yes when somebody offers to carry something for me. I mean, I'm so socialized that my initial reaction is, no thanks, I got but like, what does it mean to not always be so phallic and sometimes to receive? For me, has been a good practice. Wow. Is that such a such a beautiful Maria answer to turn it back on yourself and be like, this is what I'm doing. That's a, what a wonderful way to be. And it, it's, yeah, it moves me deeply. The slowing down is something, the cough is so real and and so hard to do which tells you already that you're under under another spell you know and and this mm. receiving is something wow that has kind of this cisgender masculine identified heterosexual man it's it's not it's just not doesn't come easy you know and in that ceremony i spoke of earlier it was like it was just like i had no option but to receive you know and mm. and i remember like some of the the moans that were coming out of my body were almost feminine in nature and, and so almost so foreign, you know, 
Mm. Uh, and then it was like, oh, these are like parts of myself that I that I that I must access, you know. So this is um, this is good medicine, and I can promise you that that it will come up in our work with the men. So thank you so much for it, Maria. Um, wow. we, we should close. We could go on forever. Um, is there anything that has gone unsaid? Anything you want us to keep in mind about you, your work, um, before we we say goodbye for for now? I think not so much about me or my work, but I think what's gone unsaid is my gratitude. Um, I really appreciate the energy that you're offering and the space that you're co-creating. Um, you and the people who you know are on the emails that I got. It's like there's clearly a... Um, crafting that's happening. And, and I feel like you just invited me into my own heart and soul space, you know, and, and, and that you're there too, you know, you have invited yourself in there, you've created the conditions. And, and hopefully I think what's happening is that then the folks who are witness participants, I would call them in the spirit of Zora Neale Hurston, like these listeners are then invited into a heart and soul space and are invited into their own space. So, so really I want to say thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Because on um, the rest of the day, like I said before, has been nourishing in different ways, productive, but, but not this, you know, this feels special. So, so thank you. Oh, that moves my heart deeply. It's definitely the intent. And uh, yeah, you've given us medicine, me certainly today and anybody that will listen. Uh, the path that you're walking is righteous and good. And it's an honor to know you. Thank you for thank you for honoring us with your company. Many, many blessings to you. Signal versus noise. There's so much competing for our attention. And I am so glad that you stayed with us through the end of the podcast. It should mean that you're finding something meaningful here. Hopefully, something worth sharing. And so I'm asking again that you think of somebody who would be touched by this conversation, who wants to be a part of it some way. It is a decentralized conversation. It is a way in which we're changing ourselves by leaning in towards each other in places like this and in the exchange of these ideas. So who's a person or two that will be specially moved by what you've heard here today? Send them a text an email. Let them know we're here. We're not trying to reach everybody. But we want to reach the right people. We want to keep having this decentralized conversation. We want to keep working on getting right to the edge of the evolution of consciousness and culture to see what we find here together. Thank you again for being a part of this. Liking the podcast helps. Subscribing is definitely a good thing. Feedback is always welcomed. Stay in touch.